Yeah. Hey, it's, it's a great honor to be here with you guys tonight. It's really, really, really a good, good joy. And uh, the first Sunday that I was actually here in Chicago, my first Sunday, I uh, literally somebody was on their way to, uh, to Wheaton College, and they dropped me. They, we went to school together in high school, and uh, they dropped me off uh, downtown Chicago, and they kind of, you know, pretty much took my suitcases, and then they took off. And... Uh, and uh, my first Sunday here, uh, you guys welcomed me, and that was a great, great honor for, for me, and I, um, I'm super honored to be here. Uh, with me also, I have uh, three of my daughters, uh, the oldest three, so that's Elizabeth back there, and Abby, and uh, Priscilla somewhere, Priscilla's way back there too, and um, they're three of the most beautiful girls uh, that you would ever meet. But uh, after this, we're on our way to vacation, on vacation. So we're literally driving from here, not going back home. So we're kind of excited about this. I think they might be thinking they preach shorter than or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so, so we can get to, to a uh, vacation faster. But uh, hey, I want to um, ask, taking advantage of this season of missions focus, and specifically for today, thinking about um, our role um, here in Chicago. I wanted to invite you to come with me to John, the Gospel of John chapter 15, the Gospel of John chapter 15. And I want to do a little quick introduction and um, thank you so much, a quick introduction. And then I, wanna, um, I want to um, go into this text. What I'm going to be reading is John chapter 15, uh, beginning verse 1 through verse, uh, through verse 9. Um, but I really want to get all the way down uh, to verse 17, although I won't read it all. Um, but in a moment, I'll give you also a couple of other thoughts about the rest of the chapter before and after. And so if you go with me to John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, and I'm just going to go reading all the way to verse 9. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of this word that I have spoken to you. So remain in me and I will also, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me though, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself through this to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now remain in my love. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? And so, Lord Jesus... These, these words are very uniquely placed. And um, your servant, John, wrote very intentionally every single word in his entire gospel. He had a whole lifetime to think about how he would, he would put this gospel together. And we believe that you 
that you are highlighting this, this section of scripture for us. And uh, I pray that you would speak to every man and woman here, including me, God, and uh, give us a deeper and fresh new desire to bear much fruit. Without opening your eyes, would you, if you want to put your heart, your hand over your heart or your hand over your Bible, if you want to, you don't have to do this, but uh, you, if maybe you can repeat these words after me, you're there by yourself, and these are these words. The Word of God is my guide. Holy Spirit, you are my teacher. Give me humility to receive what you have for me today. And give me courage to obey you immediately. In Jesus' name, amen. And yeah, for the longest time, uh, this text bothered me. Uh, it really bothered me a lot to the point that I kind of tried to avoid it for a long time. Specifically what Jesus says that really, really bothered me was this constant mention of bearing much fruit. I feel like I could say, hey, I've bared some, some fruit, but I don't know about much abundant fruit, yet Jesus keeps on saying, you will bear much fruit. Now you've got to mind where this, you've got to think about the context of this of these words of Jesus. So just a few verses before, actually this whole night is the night that Jesus was, gonna, was betrayed, was going to be betrayed. Most likely this is the prayer and this is the conversation that he has in the upper room with his disciples. And most likely the prayer in chapter 17 is most likely the prayer that he does most likely either before leaving the upper room or even going and being at Gethsemane. In other words, John gives us an inside look into the hearing what Jesus prayed that night. The words that Jesus spoke that night, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not give us exactly what John gives us. John gives us an intimate conversation with Jesus. He lets us hear, in essence, what Jesus was going through and thinking that evening that he knew he was going to be betrayed. At that very night, he also speaks to his disciples, and he says, so in chapter 14, verse 30, he says, I will not say much to you, because the prince of this world of darkness is coming. And then he had just told them in verse 27, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Sandwiched between these words on the other side, you, Jesus is also going to go and tell his disciples, the world will hate you. This is a guarantee. You can take it to the bank. The world will hate you in chapter 15, verse 18. And then he would tell him, in, he would also tell him in verse 20, and they will persecute you. What I think about these words, I usually think them as a garden in the middle of the darkness. As a garden in the middle of the darkness. So in the middle of this very difficult night, Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, the prince of this world is coming. Let's go and meet him head on. You have a lot of reason to be troubled and to be worried. So do not be troubled. Do not be worried. On the other side, he's going to tell him, hey, by the way, I have news for you. The world will hate you just like he hates me. And then he tells him, and you will surely be persecuted. But in the midst of it, he tells him, but don't you worry, because you will bear 
much fruit if you do what I am about to tell you. I think Jesus is very clear about the fact that it's never going to be an easy thing walking with him. It's always going to be a garden in a beautiful garden in the midst of lots of darkness. And when we think about the city of Chicago, it's always going to be a beautiful, dark, a beautiful garden shining in the midst of this urban jungle that we live in. But I think Jesus is meaning to say to his disciples, if you follow what I say to you, these words that I'm about to give to you, you won't have to worry nothing at all. You will not have to worry at all because you will constantly be bearing much fruit. There has never been a time when it's easier or harder to bear much fruit. It's always going to be hard to bear much fruit. It's always going to be a persecuted issue when you are in the midst of trying to bear a lot of fruit. But here's the thing. Bearing much fruit is a call that Jesus gives to his disciples. And he, in fact, makes it even harder by saying, as you bear much fruit, you will be, bring great glory to my Father and you will demonstrate yourself to be my disciples. And that bothers me. Because I live among a people in a world in which we do not overall bear much fruit, even some fruit at all. And this bothered me a lot. I remember for the longest time just kind of trying to avoid it, trying to, you know, like, talking my way around it. Like, you know, maybe Jesus means, you know, having some fruit, you know, I don't watch that much television anymore. Okay, that's some fruit, you know, like, but I don't think Jesus is cutting it short. I think Jesus is saying, every single one of my followers, in the midst of great darkness, if you listen to me, you will bear much fruit. And I want to promise this to you, not because I'm promising it, because Jesus promised it to you. You will bear much fruit. Now let's think about the things that he actually invites us to desire so that we can foster much fruit. I'll only highlight three things that I've really enjoyed and I've been trying to cultivate in my own life. The first thing is desiring, desiring with all of our hearts, the pruning knife of God in our lives. And here's the thing. If I were to say, hey, how many of you would love to have, you know, this machete cut something in your life? Will we be like, yeah, hallelujah, or be like, oh, cutting, maybe not so much. Like, like, wow, you know, massaging my sin. Maybe you can just come and massage a little bit. But chopping something of me. How many of you would say, man, I desire the pruning knife of Jesus? I don't think most of us do. I mean, talking about knives in us, I don't like that. Yet Jesus says, hey, my father's the gardener and I am the vine. And if you are to bear much fruit, then you must allow yourself to constantly be pruned by my father. I am not a very good gardener. I'm the kind of guy that kills everything that, you know, even cactuses, like they, they, I think cactus can start bending like that, like looking at me like, oh, please give us something here. And, uh, but overall, um, I don't know much about pruning, but I've read a lot, you know, thank God for Google. So I, now I know a little bit of it. You know, I can even sound like an expert, I guess, you know, Google does that. But, uh, um, but 
Pruning is the kind of practice, some of you know this very clearly, pruning is the kind of practice that looks very, I mean very, it just jumps inside, looking for the word in English, I'm like, I mean, it's just interrupting, it's very distressing to prune something, because you literally are cutting something, but when you prune it, Something who, that might even be beautiful and good, when you prune it, you are actually extending its beauty and its health. Pruning is actually a very good thing. A very good thing. I would never forget just reading through um, one year, one um, Easter, just reading through uh, the Gospel of Luke. You could, Good Friday and preparing my heart. And I arrived at chapter 22, verse 31. And um, Jesus looks at Simon and he says twice, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to to sift all of you as wheat, as wheat. And I remember thinking, just kind of even anticipating in my mind, like what what are the great words that Jesus is gonna say after? It's like, Sifting. I've never done much sifting either, you know, but I did go to the internet again. You know. But sifting sounds very much like the thing that you grab wheat and you shake it all around and you do the hopey copy or whatever it is and it's like turn yourself around. You just sift it. When something is about to be sift, it's going to be a hard ride. You're really going to be shaken up. And Jesus says, Satan has asked you, has asked for you by name to be sift. I don't know if you've ever seen the Avengers, uh, the first Avengers movie. It was a great movie. Uh, any, any Avengers movie like fans here? All right. Well, so at some point, Loki thinks that he's got the world by, by the horns. He actually wears horns. And, uh, and Hulk shows up. And Hulk is going to attack him, and Loki stops him and says, stop. He tells him, stop. Don't you know that I'm a god? And Hulk grabs him by the legs, and he shakes him and like slams him, and drops him in the ground. And Loki just lays there like, ugh. And Hulk walks away saying, puny gods. And This is exactly what Satan has asked of Peter. Now, if you knew Peter, maybe Peter is very much like you and very much like me. And Jesus doesn't say, but don't you worry, Peter. I prayed and I rebuked the devil. He does not say that. He actually says the opposite. He said, I prayed for you. And when you finish with that sifting, (laughs) in other words, Jesus is saying, this sifting is going to be so good for you. This cutting, this pruning, this sifting is going to bring great health into your heart. I want to invite you to deeply hunger for the pruning knife of God in your life. It might be that without this pruning, You will never bear much fruit. But Jesus wants you to bear much fruit. Jesus will actually end up saying to Peter, don't you worry because there will be two types of fruit in your heart. There will be an internal fruit in your heart 
and then external fruit in your heart. As a result of this uh, direct result of this sifting in your life, number one, you will return. That means you will repent. Repent from one, from your pride. It was Peter, the one that said, I'll never leave you. Satan comes like saying, I'll remind him that he will leave you. And when, that, when you return, Jesus says, then, then you will become a source of strength for all of my brothers. There's an intern, internal fruit. And external fruit. The internal fruit will be a repentance of the heart inside Peter's heart. And the Bible tells us that he wept Peter bitterly. But the second type of fruit was that Peter, he actually became exactly what Jesus said. Peter became the strength for the church. He says, but when you return, when you turn around, when you repent... You will become a source of strength for the church. Peter needed sifting. And you and I, if you and I desperately desire to bear much fruit, we must also desire the pruning knife of God in our lives. Any amens out there? A while ago, I started praying in my own heart, praying, um, God, I, I, I think I've gotten to very... Very boring sense. I think even the Holy Spirit was like, oh, man, when is this guy finishing? I mean, those, you know, like, I didn't, you know, like, I didn't journal enough or whatever. I was like, you know, can't you at least some, get some good word confessing sense or something like that? And I realized that it wasn't so much my sense that I needed to confess. I, although I do need to confess my sense. But I started tackling into my heart the repentance of my, of my own temptations and just saying, God, I know where my wall is weak in my own heart. And so I started, I started asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you bring that pruning knife into my life? I really want to bear much fruit. And I remember Jesus, the Holy Spirit pretty much highlighting is like uh, greediness in your own life. And I remember thinking greedy. I didn't really think I was greedy. But I started confessing that as a constant need, as a daily, as a daily source of, of danger in my own life. And the second thing, I, like, I remember asking the Holy Spirit, I'm confessing greediness. Would you help me with that? And is there anything else? It's like lost right away. It's like lost right away. It's like, oh man, I thought I was just greedy. Okay, now I'm a lustful man. And then the second thing, I kept on asking God, and God told me, vanity in your own life. It's like, vanity? Where's vanity? My, I don't even know what vanity is. And God showed me, you do things to be seen by others. That's a temptation in your own life. And so there I'm getting beaten up and kicked all around by the Holy Spirit, and my wife I had to say nothing to me about it. Because if my wife would have come and said, hey, I need to talk to you about your greediness, guess what I would have said? Oh, yeah, well, I need to talk to you about your own greediness. And who's going to come to a man to tell him, I need to come and talk to you about your lust and your problem with vanity and your problem with laziness? I actually, when I first wrote down my problem, my temptation with laziness, I remember thinking, I'm just going to call it scattered. I'm scattered. And then one day I'm praying and the Holy Spirit just kind of tells me, no, Albert Einstein was scattered. You're just lazy. I'm like, I'm like, thank you, oh, man. But here's the truth. I feel like the more I've gone to Jesus saying, is there anything you need to change in my life, cut in my life? The more, 
that fruit continues to come up in my life. You and I must desire to bear much fruit. And the fruit will follow the hearts that are constantly being pruned and kept healthy by the Father. Here's the second thing that I want to encourage you to desire. Desire the nurturing table of God. The nurturing table of God. Hey, um, Jesus says something very interesting to his disciples. He, said, he says, I do not call you servants or slaves. Because the slave does not know what the Father is thinking. The, the slave only comes, serves, and walks away, but the slave does not come and finds out everything that is in the mind of the heart of the father. But I've, I, that's why I'm not calling you slaves. I'm calling you friends. I, I, I grew up in a home where we would take friends on vacation with us every now and then, you know, and so the neighbor would come with us on vacation and that kind of stuff. And uh, there was always a moment in which my father, who was kind of like a very quiet but stern kind of guy, at some point in the trip, with this young kid, uh, you know, with our friend, he would end up not just yelling at us, but yelling at him, stop! And we all would stop for a moment. Like, I said, be quiet, or something like that. And we would all stop at that moment, like, ooh. And then the kid would know at that moment, I'm in, I'm in. I'm part of the family now. If everybody gets spanked, I'm getting spanked too. But if everybody gets candy and ice cream, I'm getting ice cream too. And if it's Christmas vacation, I'm getting gifts like everybody else. And I always remember that very moment when my dad would yell at one of my friends and thinking, you're part of the family now, bro. Come and sit at the table with us. And here's what I think we must desire. In America, we invented fast food. And for the most part, we fast food this as well. But in many other countries, people don't eat in 15 minutes or grab their food and take it to go. They sit down and have long conversations. And when the food is actually gone, they keep on talking. And the moment when the food is finished and people are still talking, conversation normally tends to go deeper. Conversation tends to go into places where we normally wouldn't know. Here's the truth about spending time with God. If you constantly come to the table and just get, you know, your soul for the day, you know, just get a little bread of life, you know, for your soul, that kind of stuff, that's a good thing. But nothing beats sitting with the Heavenly Father and saying, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today? What Jesus says is, you are friends because you know the plans of the Father. And it is in those moments of conversation, unhurried conversation with the Father, where the Father might say, I'm glad that you asked because I have a very special request to speak with you. There's a lady around the corner who's been praying, doesn't know what to do, and I'm just going to put it into your heart because you have taken the time and you are actually asking me. And here's the truth. We cannot fast food our time with God. We cannot because the Heavenly Father wants to reveal His plans to you. You're no longer slaves. and You just need to get some stuff and go. Just, you know, deliver your couple things. And no, you are a son. You are a child. You are a son, a daughter of the king. And the king is pleased with telling you, with telling you and revealing you his plans to you. 
But how would you know those plans unless you take the time to sit with him in a daily basis? I want to invite you to constantly desire the pruning knife of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to constantly come and nurture your soul at the table with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit listening, being part of the conversation, and may God reveal his plans into your life. But here's the last thing that I want to invite you to desire, which I've been trying to cultivate in my own heart. And the final thing that we didn't read is actually Jesus in John chapter, John chapter 15, he tells his disciples this. Um, he tells them, I have told you these things so that I have told you this, verse 11, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Put the words joy together with much fruit. The moment the farmer is the happiest in all of his life is not the moment he's working. It's the moment when the harvest has actually been taken up. I've never interviewed a cow. You know, I'd love to interview a cow one day, you know, but I didn't grow up in a farm. I would love to ask a cow, when's the, the, your most joyful moment in all of your life? And I bet you Betsy would say, when the farmer gets my milk, and drinks it, and it's like, oh, that's the best milk in the world. I bet Betsy would say, I want to make more of that milk because of the joy of the harvest. I've never interviewed a vine, you know, to ask him, hey, grapes, when is your best moment in life? But I would say the vine would say, when the farmer comes, takes a bit of our, my grapes and just eats them up. I was like, oh, these are the best grapes in the world. And I bet the vine would say, I want to make more of those. But I have interviewed people that have launched out in seeking the joy of the harvest to find harvest for the king. And when they come back, they say, it's the best thing to be rejected by, by many, but finding some who've opened their hearts and their homes. And for the sake of those few, man, I'll keep on doing this. I'll keep on going out. I'll keep on sharing Jesus with my friends. I think you and I need to cultivate the joy of the harvest. How do you cultivate the joy of the harvest? One of the ways in which I've been learning how to cultivate the joy of the harvest is to kneel down every morning and pray the Great Commission back to Jesus. So I told Jesus, your last words you said to me, you said to all of us that you have all power and authority. And I take a few moments there because that means that there is nothing that I should fear. If he has all power and authority that has been given to him on heaven and on earth, then what, what do you and I fear? He has all power and authority. Any amens? And as I pray that to Jesus, there's courage that grows inside my own heart. And I keep on desiring the harvest. And then I tell him, and you told me to go to all the nations, to go and make disciples of all the nations. And usually I answer my own question, how do I make disciples? Jesus said, baptizing people in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that I've already taught you to obey. If you know it, then just go and teach it to those who you are, whom you are baptized. And as I'm praying those things, I start thinking, one, normally one thing comes to my mind. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnicities. 
That means I don't pick and choose. Just whoever God puts in front of me is like, hey, maybe I'll throw a seed. I don't, I don't know what, what, what will happen. Most of the time, most of us kind of look at people and say, oh, that guy would never receive Jesus. Forget him. Like, and we look at somebody like, oh, that guy looks pretty gullible. All right, I'll go and talk to him. And, like, and why pick and choose? Every single one of us has been reached by someone who loved us in Jesus' name. And then I always finish my prayer. Hmm. And you promised that you would be with me. So you are with me right here, right now. There's nowhere where I can go that you would not be with me. In Jesus' name, give me a great harvest for you, King. Amen. And here's the last thing I want to share with you. I, I really want to encourage you to cultivate, to cultivate in your heart a desire for the pruning knife of God. I want to encourage you to cultivate in you a desire for the nurturing table of sitting down with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit talking about what they're doing in your community and hearing them talk and, and then feeling like I'm, I'm part of the table. Cultivate that desire. Why, why speed it up when you're having such a good time with the Heavenly Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And then thirdly, I want to encourage you to cultivate in your own heart a hunger for the joy of the harvest. We never find Jesus exploding in joy anywhere else other than in Luke chapter 10. The Bible says that he sent his disciples out. And as they were coming back, the Bible says that they told them that, hey, like, Jesus, this is what happened. And Jesus, the Bible says that he exploded in joy towards the Father. Exploded in joy Towards the Father. Here's the one thing about joy that I do know. Joy is the kind of thing that you will never experience when you're looking for it. Joy is the kind of thing that you will experience as you look to be on mission with God. When you are on mission with God, joy is a byproduct of that relationship together. Can I tell you a story to finish? And I'll invite the worship team to come up to the front. Several years ago, as I started to hunger for, for much fruit, I remember asking the Holy Spirit, what else should I do? And at that time, a couple of us in the church started thinking, what if we try something different? Normally, we invite people to church, but Jesus never invited anybody to church. As far as I know in the gospel, Jesus never said, hey, I'm glad you're interested. Come with me to synagogue. Jesus always did the opposite. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to your house for dinner. In other words, he never took anybody to church. He always went himself to their homes. And so these guys started saying, hey, why don't we invite ourselves into people's homes? And so I, I was like thinking, well, that's so un-American, isn't it? Like, well, let's try it. At least I live in the Mexican neighborhood. I can say that. And so um, I remember looking at one guy, and uh, he had been coming to our church for like a year with his family, very quiet. He would always walk away right as soon as the service finished. So I walked to Aniceto one day, halfway through the service, and I told him, I'm coming to your house for dinner this Tuesday. I felt so Jesus-like, you know. And he, uh, he said, okay. And uh, I told him, 7 o'clock, he's like, okay. And then he left. And uh, at 7 o'clock that Tuesday, I walked into his house. And as uh, I knocked at the door, I heard people saying, shh, the pastor's here. 
And I'm like thinking, what's behind this door? So they opened the door, and I did not know that Aniceto owned several businesses. And so he had invited his family and all of his employees to come and have dinner with me that night. So as I walked in, I'm like thinking, whoa, what happened? And uh, then I realized I'm happening. It's like, whoa, that's pretty bad. And um, so I walked in, and he said, um, uh, you know, I just sat down with him, and um, there was food. It smelled like food from the kitchen, so I thought we'll be okay. And, um, and then uh, I sat down with him, and I told him what I came to tell him. I shared Jesus with him. And I'll never forget, I told him at the end, I had been taught to just say, like in a new way, like, hey, what keeps you from giving your life, from opening your heart to Jesus right here and right now? I love that right here, right now. And he answered by saying, nothing. I had just been waiting for someone to come and tell me. Which is interesting because he had been in my sermons for an entire year. And I thought to myself, maybe I, I, I'm pretty good preacher, man. How can you never give your life to Jesus until I come to your house? But that's exactly what he was waiting for. And so he gave his life to the Lord that Tuesday. Two, and, two Sundays later, he's getting baptized out in the street. Two Sundays later, he's baptizing two of his employees. Two Sundays later, he's baptizing two of his children. And on and on and on and on and on, over 30 people gave their life to Jesus through that little branch of Aniceto. I'll never forget that because I thought the more I hunger for harvest for the king, the more I hunger for fruit for the king, the more the king says, first, don't worry about the fruit. Let me prune your heart. Then would you take the time to sit and listen to my heart and my thoughts? And then finally, would you desire, hunger, this above all things in your life? You will bear much fruit. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? <sighs> Lord Jesus, there's no way that your disciples were experiencing less persecution or difficulty than we are experiencing right here, right now. In America, 2019, downtown Chicago, God, no, there's no way that they experienced more persecution. I mean, less persecution. But yet you promised to them, you will bear much fruit, much fruit. Oh, Lord Jesus, we hunger and we thirst for way more, much more fruit than we could ever had imagined. And way more fruit than we could ever muster in our own strength. So Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be promoters of disciples who make disciples, who make other disciples, who establish churches all over our world. Father, we hunger and thirst. If this is what you desire, you desire much fruit, Oh, God, if you are a king, then may we give you exactly what you desire. Much fruit in Jesus' name. Amen.